Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into this special edition of Hoopsville. It's our 12-hour annual marathon. For the fifth time, we will go 12 hours talking Division Three basketball. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, coming to you from the WBCA and ABC studios. want to thank our partners at those associations for their assistance. Yes, we've got our morning coffee, and we are ready to roll. 12 hours of Division Three basketball. That is what is ahead, and we hope you will enjoy every minute of it. You can interact with us. You can join us uh, with questions, however you want to do it. We are here and looking forward to having you with us. Tons of guests on the show, and that might be saying it loosely. <laughs> loosely. Um, if you want an idea of who's on the show, you can just go to our show page, which is up on the front page of d3hoops.com and elsewhere, of course, to figure out what's going on. But we'll also try and review it on occasions here as well. We're going to cover, here's the trick about this one, it did things a little differently this year. Usually we try to spread the wealth every year anyway, and we're usually pretty successful at that. This year, when it made a conscious effort to get a men's team and a women's program from each of the regions of the eight regions in the country. We were successful in doing that, and we've got some other additional guests. The, the interesting factor of all that was you may be used to seeing a lot of our reporters, as it were, or others who come on and just talk about the regions in general. Whether they be a Lenny Reich or um, a Matt Noonan, even a Howard Herman or the like. Um, we, we didn't leave enough room <laughs> in the show for that to happen this year. Um, so more coaches and even student athletes this year. Um, but on the other side, not as many um, um, regional, general regional guests. What we will do is work on those both for the next marathon, but really for uh, future shows. We'll try and get some more regional so we can get more of an encompassing view of what's going on in Division Three. So lots to talk about here on this marathon show, and we hope you will uh, join us throughout the day. We are on for 12 hours. That is what we have scheduled. We have traditionally gone longer. We will see how I feel. I uh, didn't get a lot of sleep in the last few days, which, if anybody knows me, is not that surprising. But we will do our best. How you can interact with us, at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. That is your Twitter information. You can also email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville, where we are also live streaming the event. See, our good friend Ryan Scott has joined in. Ryan will join us probably a little bit later in the show, especially during the happy hour segment, as immediately a, a contact pops out of my eye. you got to love how that works. Well, that's why we have backup plans, so I can fix that while still talking to you. So guests aplenty. We will actually talk to both regional committee chairs, or I should say national committee chairs, and we will actually start that off here in about 10 minutes with Bobby Morgan from Haverford. She will join us on the Women's Basketball Committee chair and discuss what they've done. They had their first mock rankings this week, and we will talk about what may have been their first early signs of challenges, what may be in store for the committee, what the committee's working through, et cetera, ahead of next week's first regional rankings. So we will talk to Bobby coming up here uh, in just a little bit. She's the head coach at Haverford, so we'll also talk to her about what is absolutely a diabolically nutty Centennial women's race. 
Also ahead, uh, we'll talk to the men's committee chair later in the show, but we'll talk to him. Tim Fitzpatrick, athletics director at Coast Guard. We'll talk to him about the same things we'll talk to Bobby about from the men's point of view um, and get his take on things. We actually talked to Tim yesterday on Wednesday, um, and so that is a pre-recorded interview, which will give me a chance to at least visit the facilities um, or, or whatnot. So we will talk to him coming up. Also, some other great guests. Uh, we will talk to the executive director for the WBCA, Danielle Donahue. She will come on to talk about a whole host of topics, uh, including um, trying to get more women to be head coaches or, or at least mentor them and professionally develop them and give them the best opportunities we can possibly give them. Great article by Ryan Scott recently. Danielle has her thoughts on the whole situation. That's coming up. We'll also talk later in the program to former Emory women's basketball coach Christy Thomas Cuddy. She will come on the show to discuss what she is doing now. If you may remember, she retired from, from Emory or resigned right before the start of the basketball season. Not right before, but shortly before. She'll come on to talk what she is doing, why she resigned, and most importantly, what has also what door has suddenly opened for her. If you haven't noticed, we will talk about to her later in the show. Got a really great guest. Former NFL star for the Cincinnati Bengals, Ken Anderson will show, join us. He's an Augustana grad. You may be wondering, well, Dave, this is a basketball show. Why would you have an NFL star on the show? <laughs> well, you do not know. Ken was a standout player for Augustana. Now, we will admit Augustana wasn't quite a Division III school at the time, nor was most of the CCIW, but they did become that shortly thereafter, and... Ken Anderson is a huge advocate for Division III, uh, including showing up to a lot of Augustana's biggest events, including the last time, or not the last time they in the Final Four, but the year before. Excuse me as I keep sipping some coffee. It's at that perfect temperature where you want to drink it up while you can enjoy it. It just happened to time it at the start of the show. So those are just a handful of the guests. We will talk to Dave Hickson from Amherst, Lyle Jones from Bethany Lutheran Women, Brad Fisher from Oshkosh Women, Gary Gresh from St. Norbert Men, Kent Madsen from Wheaton Women, Rusty Rainbolt from uh, East Texas Women, Gina DeRubo from Washington Jefferson Women, Marcus Kahn from Mary Washington Men, Scott Hemmer from SUNY Geneseo Women, Dixie Jeffers from Capital Women, Claire Marburger from Luther. You may remember Claire. She was uh, the topic of an article about clinical depression just the other day on D3Hoops.com. We'll talk in more depth with Claire about all of that. We'll talk to Susquehanna's men's basketball coach, Frank Marcinic and one of his top players, Tyler Hoagland. You might notice that tie hanging in the background. I'm pointing to it if you're watching it on the stream. If you're listening to the podcast, sorry, it's over my right shoulder. Uh, it's Susquehanna colors. I wore it last night at the, um, at uh, my basketball game at Goucher in honor of them. And it's a tie-up cancer campaign tie, and I'm thankful the Susquehanna sent me one. Wore it proudly last night. They play Goucher on Saturday, and I'll be in attendance. I don't know if I can wear the Susquehanna tie for that one, but we'll see. But anyway, they'll be on. We'll even don the tie for the segment. They're coming up. Also, uh, Kenny Doss, Manchester men's basketball player. He's got some great off-the-court off the um, things going on. We also wrote about recently. We'll go in-depth with him. Uh, Adam Walsh will join us from Shenandoah, new head coach at Shenandoah, and there's a brand-new gym. We'll get his take on the Shenandoah men's team, the ODAC race, but more importantly, what's it like to play in a brand-new gymnasium? And halfway through the season, an interesting twist. They switched gymnasiums halfway through. Chris Martin from Loris Men's Basketball will join us. Mike Ragnick of Vassar 
assistant coach for Vassar. He's a SUNY New Paltz coach last year. Will join us. There is a there is a new basketball team afoot that we want your support with. You've all heard of the basketball tournament. Well, guess what? A D3 team is being formed. We'll talk to him about that as the fundraising efforts are starting, I believe, today. Russell Phillips from Alfred Men will join us. Bill Geithner from Eastern Connecticut Men. Annie Yasinoff from Emmanuel Women. 800 win club, and believe it or not, closing in on the all-time wins record in Division Three, a number that was held by Mike Strong at Scranton. He is 14, I believe, away from that number. No, he will not reach it this season. I don't think it's mathematically possible, but it's still two significant milestones. We will talk to Andy about those. We mentioned Danielle Donahue will come on, and Izzy Metz of Wilkes Men's Basketball will join us. Dave Nobert of Penn State Barron will join us. Tim Fitzpatrick, as we mentioned, will join us as well. Karen Martin from Montclair State uh, women's basketball team will join us. Janice Luck from Albright's team. Those two teams have faced each other. We'll talk to Janice. Philip Ponder from Oglethorpe. Christy Thomas-Cuddy, former Emory coach. Then we'll take a detour. We'll talk to D1 head coach Pat Scary of Towson. Some of you might go, why are you doing this, Dave? Well, Pat Scary is actually a Division III student athlete, and he actually was an assistant coach at Tufts for his alma mater. Played under, coached under Bob Skeldon, and he ended up going on to, to coach Curry very successfully. He moved on into D1, but we'll talk to him in a pre-taped interview about what he's up to now, his autism awareness um, efforts, and how Division Three plays a role, and whether he might come back to Division Three. And then Ken Anderson from Augustana, graduate. And then we open up the happy hour, and we'll get a bunch of people via Skype on to talk nothing but Division Three for the final hour of the show. We call it the Hoopsville Marathon Happy Hour, and we hope you'll join us. So a lot to cover. And, oh, by the way, there were games played last night. If you weren't paying attention, one of those games was Fontmont-Greenville. Let's just call it an insanity game. 164-154 uh, was the final. Fontmont beat Greenville in overtime. They were 78-62 at halftime. Then Greenville outscored Fontbonne 82-66 in the second half before Fontbonne won 20-10 in overtime. That is now the highest-scoring Division III basketball game in history, upending Simpson versus Grinnell back in 1994. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, that was crazy. I watched the overtime period, to be sure. Um uh, Greenville also, I think, either tied or also broke the record uh, for the most points scored in a losing effort. Um, so pretty pretty insane, to say the least. Uh, so hats off to Crompon, at least, on that win. <laughs> it, just, it, was, it was fascinating to watch. Also, some other uh, results last night that have certainly kept everybody uh, on their toes. Babson beat MIT. Uh, now it appears MIT uh, had a, a key injury to one of their top players. Um, which we're keeping an eye on. We hope that's not long-term. That could have a major effect. Sean King has joined the broadcast. Thank you, Sean. That could have a major effect on things down the road, to be sure. Uh, so uh, little things like that are, are uh, things we have to keep an eye on, as it were, uh, throughout the season. And it's going to maybe happen at the wrong time for MIT, which I feel bad for. I believe, let's see if I can read my note here. Um, it appears... Bradley Jomar was carried off on a stretcher after an ankle injury last night. That might be how MIT ended up falling to Babson. Though Babson, I think, has had MIT's number, to be honest with you. Uh, Muhlenberg also upset Swarthmore. 
Listen, I've already said I think Swarthmore's a little high ranked there at number seven, um, but it doesn't help to then <laughs> lose to Muhlenberg. Though Muhlenberg has, 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 has been the, the Achilles heel for a few teams this year. And River Falls uh, beat lacrosse in overtime. The WIAC men's and women's races continue to be absolutely insane. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what to, ex what to think of those two races. I also don't know how that may affect everybody uh, running um, in the tournament. You know, can they get a number of teams in from the WIAC or will both men and women so cannibalize themselves with, with conference losses that it's going to eliminate some teams? I, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch regional rankings as they start to come out next week. Point, by the way, also won last night. Uh, they beat Whitewater 74-60 uh, to now sweep Whitewater. Stevens Point, uh, from what I saw in Vegas, is showing either they are a lot better than they, they advertised on their three-game losing streak, or the Wyack isn't as strong. It's still good, don't get me wrong, but maybe they're not dominating strong as an entire conference. Maybe they're pretty darn good strong instead, and, and we've been overinflating some of those teams. I don't know the real answer to that. We will find out in time. We'll have to find a way to get Stevens Point on this show in the near future as well, as Platteville also swept Oshkosh last night. Augustana beat Illinois Wesleyan 88-79 in a game that was a little tighter than that nine-point swing uh, indicates. Of course, there had been a heated debate over which team was better, I had eventually started to move Illinois Wesleyan ahead of Augustana in my rankings. Now this win. Now, Illinois Wesleyan had handled Augustana last time. This game certainly draws everything into question by splitting the regular season between the two. Uh, maybe they're closer than we realize, and now it's a pick em as to who you think might be the better team. Roanoke also knocked off Emory and Henry last night. Um, the ODAC race at the top is now getting a little bit crazy and the Maroons are positioning themselves into a nice spoiler role at the bottom of the conference standings, not the very bottom of uh, conference playoff standings, I should say. They're six and five, but they're just two games back of Guilford, who's in third. Um, and the Wasps are now 18 and two in their first conference loss. So the ODAC's turning into a fascinating race to watch as well. And Rose Holman now in first place in the HCAC, uh, getting a win over over Hanover, I think that might be a – I think it's a split of the season. So fascinating things going on around the country, to be honest with you, and lots to cover, and we will try and do so uh, the best we can, especially on this 12-hour marathon. Uh, if you've got any questions, again, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville, email Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um We'll see how this all goes today. Got lots to talk about, do we not? If you got questions, you can also join us on the YouTube chat room, though not a lot of people there now. Certainly perfectly fine. Not expecting a ton of people there. You can also interact with us on the Facebook simulcast. Good morning, Dave, says Jay Cozen. Good morning, Jay. We hope uh, the Facebook simulcast will be able to continue. I honestly do not know if it will. Facebook has some weird things, and we just don't know how it's going to work out, to be honest with you. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will get things going with Bobby Morgan, head coach of Haverford and Women's Basketball Committee Chair. She will join us here on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline to talk about not only Haverford in the Centennial Race, but we'll talk about her uh, committee work and the committee 
as well. You're watching Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Back with more after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us. To look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. The marathon is off and running, and we're pacing ourselves. Lots of guests, <coughs> excuse me, uh, today, and we're going to get things started with a big one in the sense that we're going to talk to the Women's Committee Chair for the National Women's Basketball Committee. Of course, this is the committee that is responsible ultimately for those regional rankings. A reminder, the regional committees are advisory, uh, but the National Committee ultimately responsible for those regional rankings, which we will see for the first time on Wednesday, and ultimately responsible for selecting the teams that will make the NCAA tournament at large uh, group and then bracket those teams and everybody else to find out who might get a chance at a national championship. It's a lot of work, and we always appreciate the committee coming on and discussing them with us in a um, in in kind of a, a, an advisory role for us to understand, even you, to understand how things work 
a little bit better. And joining us to start this Hoopsville Marathon off on the city of Salem, Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach of Haverford. It is Bobby Morgan. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me on, Dave. Absolutely. No pressure. You're just the first of many guests. So uh, you get me at my freshest. So that might be good for you. Um, All right. So we should point everybody out. Uh, You're the committee chair, I believe, for the second year in a row, though you had kind of a mock committee responsibilities at the end of the of the a couple years ago when uh, Whitewater's head coach Carol uh, coach Carollo had to step off for most of the call so you've kind of had a, a lot of experience with the with the commissioning side of things um, you guys have had a mock draft this or a mock kind of regional rankings this week to kind of dust off the the rust as it were get the new people kind of used to how things work and kind of get everybody sequenced into this year ahead of next year's or next week's first regional rankings how did how did did it go for the first week so i mean the the mock rankings are great uh, primarily because they give all of the different regions and their chairs a chance to work with oftentimes new committee members right to kind of get them acclimated to the process Um, and at the same time you know when we then get together as a national committee uh, we have often have new members, so we can kind of get them on board as well. Now, this year we have a pretty veteran committee. We only have one new member. Uh, it's Polly from UT Dallas. But for She's the busy. most part, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, um, we've got a pretty veteran national committee, which is really good because that makes it seamless in a way that, you know, everybody's on the same page already. And, you know, it's just really a matter of getting the regional advisory committees, like mine, for instance, is new, and making sure that they understand the process uh, so as we move forward to get into the real the rankings that we're all on the same page. Interesting. You do only have one uh, new committee member. Usually it's two. You just kind of a quirk on the women's committee, the way some turnover has happened the last few years. Yeah, and we've had a couple that, yeah, we had some unusual circumstances, yeah. people leaving and so it, it, it kind of worked out, but uh, it's a great committee. I mean, a fantastic committee. A lot of the really good coaches, too, which that's the only bad downfall that we could have. Some of our national committee members might be in the tournament, so that <laughs> leaves us a little thinner when we go to do the uh, bracketing and stuff. But it'll work out. Yeah, I'll come back to that in a minute. I have a different take on it from where I've had in the past, and I wanted to run it past you. But moving on, um, obviously each regional committee kind of, as I said at the beginning, advises the National Committee on these rankings, and there's a lot of components. We talk about primary, and we talk about secondary criteria, and we talk about, you know, trying to read everything equally to some degree. The women's numbers are slightly different than the men's. That's just for the public audience. We're not going to go into it with you, but what have you already seen in at least the mocks that either the regional committees are already having to kind of either struggle or are challenged by, or even the National Committee in how the numbers are looking already, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it's so much for this particular ranking. I think the general challenge is that, you know, you've got primary criteria, win-loss percentage, strength of schedule, Division three head-to-head competition, results versus common, and then, you know, eventually once we start ranking, the results versus ranked teams. And I think the really the tricky part for for us is balancing because they're all valued the same right so the value is you know strength of schedule versus win loss percentage seems to be the one that you have to make value judgments mm-hmm. about you know what does this mean i mean they might have a really great strength of schedule but they have a lot of losses whereas someone might have a great win loss percentage right. but they haven't played quite the same schedule at least on appearance and i think that's always where the challenges come in you have to look at each of those cases individually and say okay Let's look at this one and, and drill down and see what does that win-loss mean? What does that strength of schedule mean? 
Yeah, and that's the, the challenge, and that's why you've got other criteria like uh, results versus regionally ranked opponents and whatnot. And we should point out, though, that results versus regionally ranked opponents is not a number necessarily that can be used next week because there are no rankings. These mock rankings yeah. are great for you, but you can't go back and use them. No, no, we don't. Um, we can't. I mean, really, essentially, we start fresh next week. Right. Um, and, you know, as each week you get deeper and deeper into the rankings, you have more data. You know, obviously teams, you know, the head-to-heads kind of work itself out because oftentimes when you start ranking, the teams and conferences may have only played each other once. And then the following week, they played each other twice. So a lot of those really tough decisions become easier as you go further and further into the ranking weeks. Sure. Um, uh, by the way, hello to Larry, who's tuning into the show. Appreciate him taking the time. Coach, the other thing about the results versus regionally ranked opponents is, is we want to drive home is, is, is that data might not be there for your first rankings, which might make things a little more challenging for you. But ultimately, it comes into play, and you ultimately have five things in the primary and then some additional in the secondary. I, I, don't, I know it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis, but how often do you think you guys end up in the secondary criteria to try and break, break a tie, as it were? Um, probably not that often. Um, but I can't say because we do have that non-conference strength of schedule now that we can peek at, um, which you know, gives you a, just a – it just break, pulls out what that strength of schedule looks like. In other words, a lot of you know, folks can't control their conferences and how many games they have to play, and that oftentimes affects their strength of schedule. <coughs> excuse me. But now we can look at that non-conference. So, <coughs> excuse me, that might play into it a little bit more. Nice segue. Uh, I was going to ask you about the non-conference SOS. Uh, we talked to um, Tim Fitzpatrick on a pre-taped interview that aired later in the show, and and I tough to say now, but how much do you think that could help you as a committee when you're starting to split hairs? Because I've always considered the secondary criteria for you guys to be maybe helpful, but not always helpful. Well, I mean, I think it, it, it you know, it, it's helpful in the sense, I mean, you know, we have some regions in the country that are very different yes. um, and their opportunities to play Division three schools are not the same. And, and, you know, we try to be really conscious of that. So, you know, where a team might not have a chance to play Division three opponents because of where they're located geographically, you know, we're definitely going to peak at that uh, non-conference win-loss and make sure that we're, you know, keep taking that into consideration. Um, and, you know, and certainly with the non-conference strength of schedule, this is our first time pulling that out. So it's going to be difficult to predict what, what that's going to look like. You know, I think the thought process behind that is that's something that, that teams can control. Like you can schedule your non-conference schedule and, and that affects the SOS. But as all of us in Division Three know, I mean, you may schedule a team that's traditionally really strong thinking, okay, this is going to be a great game for me. And then that year they have a couple injuries and they're not so good so now your sos isn't helped by that that game so mm -hmm. you know I, you know it, it, at the end of the day you, you know and i know it sounds like coach speak but we still have to look at the body of work for everybody sure. and these are just different things that we can look at when we have to make those really really tough decisions and split hairs and you know every every situation every comparison is always is unique so we try to look at everything that we can the more data we have the better our decision process is and this may be a question you can't answer now, but the you know the SOS number we've all understood that above 500 is good and below 500 is bad, to be generalistic, um, because conference play kind of brings it to 500 in most conferences. And then if you've got a really good, um, you know, non-conference or really good conference, it'll go north. And if it's the opposite, it goes south. Have you figured out with the non-conference SOS what the good 
number might be, or is it on the same premise? Well, no. I mean, and, and honestly, you know, we, we, look at, we look at those numbers, but we also look into what those numbers mean. So, in other words, if a team has a, um, a lower strength of schedule, we're going to look in at that and see, but how have they done against the good teams? Because they might, again, in their conference, not have an opportunity to play a lot of better teams, but maybe they're beating a bunch of teams that are pretty good. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, they might be 4-0 against teams that are above you know, 800 winning percentage. Right. So we do look at all of that. We drill down. Um, I can't really you know, give you much on the non-conference right. yet because it, it's new. And yeah, I you, think until we go through a year of understanding seeing, it. Yeah, well, not even understanding, but seeing how much we need to use it. Sure. And how useful it is. I mean, essentially, it's the same data. It's just pulling it out. We already have that data. It's factored in right. to their strength of schedule. But now we're looking at it kind of under a microscope. of and, and, you know, again, going back to these different conferences, I mean, there's conferences that play, you know, the NESCAC plays each other once. So they've got a much larger uh, non-conference schedule than the NUMAC. Or, you know, so it's a different – you just have to look at each in, in you know, in, in each case separately yeah. and see what it means. Sure. That makes sense, and again, it's it's the first year, and and we're not we're not even at the real regional rankings. I can totally understand how that number may not be truly appreciated as of yet. So I realize it was a little bit of a loaded question. No, uh, I, I but I definitely think it's going to be useful. I oh think yes, it's going to because it's going to say, well, you know, they've done well non-conference, and they've also got a pretty strong SOS non-conference. So that that's meaningful information. It's information that we've always had, but it's just a different way of looking at it. Um. And yeah, it's an extra piece of data for you guys, too, which is, is helpful. Now, we talk about this with Tim a little bit. I'm hinting at what we're going to bring up. He brings up the fact that the RPI number is sitting there from the NCAA, and we should point out that is an NCAA-based number that is something that's certainly used in Division One. but it, it shows up on your screens. Whether We go into detail, not into detail, but we chat, and I just wanted to ask you quickly, compare. Have you asked the NCA to get rid of that number so it's not in front of you? Even though I know you're not using it, I'm, I'm sure it's hard to ignore at the same time. And I feel bad if there's a piece of data sitting there in front of you that is both unhelpful and helpful at the same time, if that makes any sense. No, I mean, you know, our committee has not. I mean, and again, it's not in the primary criteria. Right. So, you know, it's there because it gives you kind of a snapshot of of a different way of looking at things. Sure. Um, you know, the, the challenge with the RPI at the Division three level, which I'm sure you understand, is that it works really well in Division one, yeah. where there's a lot of money and teams can go out and really, yes. cra- you know, craft a schedule that's going to impact their RPI. Yep. But going back to the Division three philosophy, I mean, you know, it, it's regional competition. Uh, we've got conferences that play 18, 20 games, and you've got very limited non-conference schedule, and that impacts mm-hmm. what would be an RPI. So, you know, it's there. I'm sure some people take a peek at it. But, you know, we as a committee, and as long as I've been on it, and, and from the guidance that we get from the NCAA folks, is to, you know, it's primary criteria, it's secondary criteria. We can't get yep. into uh, we can't make stuff up, and we can't, you know, <laughs> just take inferences from other numbers that aren't part of what we're supposed to be looking at. I.e., the eye test does not have a factor. we got to keep yeah. driving that home to people. I know they're the better team in the, according to the eye, but we're not according to the data. I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm more curious if it's just one of those conversations you have with Kelly Whitaker or somebody like, hey, can you just get that off our screens in general? I mean, I we, uh, I know you're not using it. I, I Trust me, I, I trust you guys, but I also wonder how much of a distraction it can be. I don't think it's a distraction at all. I think okay. actually when you, you know, it gives you, because there's a part of the 
material that we can look at is just it breaks down, you know, their last five games. It breaks down their last um, their games against teams that are higher ranked. So it, it's, you know, yes, it's not the exact same uh, calculation as strength of schedule, but it just gives you a different, just a different picture. Mm-hmm. But we don't use it. Right. It's just something that's there and, you know, but I, to take it away, I don't think it's going to matter. Sure. No, I can appreciate that. Uh, real quick, your national committee is Karen Harvey in, uh, of Montclair, who will be on the show later, uh, representing yep. the Atlantic. Uh, Kristen Huffman, who we had on earlier this season from DePaul, representing the yep. Great Lakes. David Petroff from the Central Region. He's the SID at Edgewood College. South Region is Polly Thomason, head coach at UT Dallas, we had on last week. Uh, East Region is uh, Jim Scheibel from Rochester. We've had him on earlier in the show. Uh, I believe the Mid-Atlantic Region is yourself. Uh, <laughs> Northeast Region, Kelly Thompson from Roger Williams, the head coach. And West Region is Leslie Irvine, the director of athletics at Pomona Pitzer. By my count, and knowing the landscape right now, by <laughs> there's only two people on this committee when it comes time to bracket who uh, will be able to take part because I suspect Montclair will be on a, on the bracket. I suspect DePaul will be on the bracket. I suspect Dallas, Rochester, Haverford, and Roger Williams will be on the bracket. How challenging is that if you start looking down the road in a month's time? Well, I mean, I don't – that's not necessarily going to happen. No, um, I know, I mean, but I do think pretty good probably, chance. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's probably going to be um, – I mean, a, a group of our committee will be on the bracket, so they won't obviously be – they'll be in the tournament, so they obviously won't be there when we do the bracketing. But truthfully, that that's happened every year since I've been on the committee. Right. And um, – you know, we've obviously been able to, to, I think we've had some pretty good brackets the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I know there's challenges. And uh, so, I mean, we'll make it work. I mean, it, you know, we do, you know, obviously the NCAA folks are really experienced. And, and if we have to bring in alternates from the from the RACs to, to step in, uh, we certainly can do yeah. that if we have to on the call. That's what my, my question was. I know when it comes to the selection process, Mm-hmm. You have a person in the Mid-Atlantic, for example, who will step in should you be in that large scenario. Um, and I know every region has, a, has an alternate who will step in should Jim have to come off the call, should Polly have to come off the call, whatever, for the selection process. Mm-hmm. Do those alternates also help for the bracketing? Yeah, we haven't done that in the past. Um, I mean, I think if we reach a situation where we've got you know not enough folks on the call, that that would be something. And again, yeah. I'd have to talk to Kelly about that. I was but, just wondering if there's a critical um, mass point, yeah. Yeah, no, um, no, they just they just fill in so that obviously we don't want folks talking about their own teams when it's time to get right. off the board. Off the board. So, uh, uh, well, that's the other thing too. Is I talked to to Kelly recently. Most of that conversation was just between us. It's not for public consumption because it's great to, for me to get some understanding. But one thing that did come out of it that I kind of realized after the fact. I've actually got to reach back out to Kelly and go. I finally had the aha moment. 12, 24 hours later, driving home, was. Her opinion from the NCAA's point of view, the men we know tend to have the, the, their committee members, even if they're in the tournament, on, the, on their bracketing decisions. The women don't. And the idea was, you know, you don't want to have an unfair advantage. And I didn't quite grasp it until 24 hours later. And, I, and maybe you can help me with this. In other words, she doesn't want you, let's say, Bobby, to know who your two opponents are going to be on that first round or that first weekend 24 hours in advance before everybody else. Correct. Okay, so that's where I've misunderstood it. I've always, I haven't been able to wrap my mind around that. Um, no, I mean, and I think, you know, I think the best part about this, I mean, you know, there's two things I've said to people I haven't gone through this experience is that the people on our national committee are, are, are fantastic. I mean, sure. there hasn't been any, um, 
you know, they're representing their regions, but they're also committed to getting the best teams in the tournament. So yeah. that's the first thing. And the second thing is when we go to the bracketing, I mean, the integrity of that process, I mean, folks that are in the tournament aren't involved in that, nor should they be, because even if they are of the highest standards, I mean, it, it leaves the, you leave people up for questioning. So yeah. they can't be involved in it. Yeah, that's I get that. I, I know most people would tell you they're probably going to go home to their beds and sleep and not give a darn who they're facing. But I, I can understand, and Kelly expressed that as well, they just don't want the 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 so-called image, as it were, of impropriety, and and we can go back and forth on on whether that would happen. But I understand it, and now I grasp it better too, because it's not about necessarily you trying to position yourself better. Because if you're on the opposite side of the bracket, who cares? You're not going to see a team into the championship. But in reality, it's about you know 24 hours before anybody else does who you're playing, and you could technically get an unfair advantage of scouting right. them and all that. And I, right. I just want to point out, I didn't fully grasp that in my head in the years that you and I have talked until I talked to Kelly uh, recently, and that certainly was helpful. Um, hey, let's pivot a little bit. I know you regional rankings come out next week. Actually, real quick, timeline, you guys, how does, it, how does a normal week work for regional rankings? So we do our regional calls on Tuesday. Okay. Um, you know, the information gets pushed over by the NCAA Monday morning. Okay. Most of the time you get everything together, so that gives you a day to go through it. And then, um, you know, most of us have – you know, various times of the day, we'll do our call, our regional calls on Tuesday, um, and the the racks will go in and they'll they'll vote, and then that that stuff gets pushed over. The national committee gets <clears throat> gets their the all the rankings from all the different regions, and then we get together on Wednesdays for a pretty lengthy call, truthfully, because there's a lot of teams to talk about. And I should point out again, as a com as a Mid Atlantic committee chair. You don't vote. There's another now, person technically in your stead for your conference, correct? Yeah, so none, none of us on the National Committee vote. And we really, you know, and, and I just had my first call, and, and you know, and, and there was a couple issues where our, within our regional committee, they were, they were in disagreement. And, you know, I mean, we, we try to guide them in the sense of following the, the same processes that the, and the thinking that the National Committee is going to do. But at the end of the day, they have to vote their conscience. Yeah. And, um you know, and 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 so and and that's okay. And and there will be times when the national committee might look at a decision that a regional committee makes and say, you know what, this isn't what we are doing con consistently across the the country. We need to change this, or, you know, and 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 so and, and there are some slight difference in philosophies from region to region sometimes that we sure. try to you know try to get aligned for. This is how we want to do this. And, and ultimately, you hinted at it, the National Committee makes the choices. These are advisory committees. You guys may make the argument for why the advisory committee made the decision X, Y, and Z, but ultimately the National Committee is responsible for these rankings, and they will make the necessary changes as they see fit. They do, but, I mean, you know, if we get it right and right. we're able to get, and oftentimes, the, you know, the regional folks do a great job. I mean, they, you know, some these guys put a lot of thought and yeah. time into it, and, and, and there's not a lot of time. I mean, there's changes, but it's not monumental. I mean, no. for the most part, the, the, you know, they get it right. Yeah, I don't want to hint that it's monumental. I just want to point out that it's not like the regional committee's decision is be-all and end-all. The national committee, ultimately, you do have a vote, but it's on the national side looking at it from a national point of view. I just want right. to make and sure that, people and, realize and each, that. And each, and each chair of each region, you know, when we get on our call, will explain to the rest of the group, like, this is what this is what our group was thinking, and this is what sure. they wanted. This is their rationale behind how they voted. And and uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, they do. They, they These guys put a lot of time. It, it is enormously time-consuming. 
because it's a lot of information to go through, and everybody's committed to trying to get it right. Yeah, and so again, Tuesday regional calls, Wednesday national calls, ranking in the morning, and the rankings usually come out Wednesday afternoons. That's our yep. usual timeline, right? Yep. All right, let's pivot because you're in the conversation regionally. You're also in the conversation in, the, in what is an absolutely fascinating centennial conference race. You've got, uh, let's see, you are sitting a game back of Muhlenberg, who's 14 and 1 in conference, 8, 19 and 1 overall. Gettysburg is in second, a half game back, same win, uh, win total as you guys with one less loss at 17 and 2, 13 and 1. Then yourselves at 17 and 3, 13 and 2. Hopkins is lurking at 12 and 8. 11 and 4. They've had a great uh, turnaround under their new head coach. McDaniel and Dickinson, even Ursinus, are, are fighting it out for that fifth spot. Yep. Could certainly play spoiler. The top four have been good. I've been watching this conference a lot. I call a lot of games in the conference. The top four have really kind of positioned themselves, but they have to watch out for this secondary and even third group because any game on any night is going to shake up the standings. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and, and we knew, I think everybody in our conference yeah. knew coming in that it was yes. going to be this kind of a year. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and obviously Muhlenberg had everybody back. Gettysburg had everybody back. Haverford had everybody back. And when Nancy <laughs> retired last year at Hopkins, I mean, you know, she had set the table because that group of kids that plays for them, they were sophomores last year. And mm -hmm. she knew when she left, like, they're going to be really, really good. And, uh, you know, even she even said when she retired, she's like, this, a new coach will step in and they'll have two years with these kids because they're really talented. And they've really done well, uh, particularly with after, you know, you know a, they had a tough non-conference schedule, but they're playing exceptionally well. So, you know, we have a big week ahead of us, but so does yeah, everybody yeah. else. I think, um, you know, it's going to shake out however it shakes out. And uh, at the end of the day, somebody's going to earn the top seed, but we're all going to have to play each other again to, to win the conference. So, um, so it's exciting. It's been fun. Your three losses, uh, non-conference against a really good Stevens squad, and then the next game against Muhlenberg, both of those on the road. Then you lost also on the road at Johns Hopkins back on the 13th. Um, got past an improving Washington College squad just last night. Your advantage, though, and uh, I, I don't know if you've, if you've sent a thank you bouquet to Steve at the conference office is you have Haverford, Gettysburg, Muhlenberg, and Hopkins all at home in the next four before finishing at McDaniel and at Swarthmore. If anything, that's that's nice that you've got a good chunk against the, some of the top teams all coming up. I said Haverford. That makes no sense. Do I have the well, right? I don't know that I'd send a thank you, Bouquet, anyway. for having to play all three of them, the four of them, and you know, with McDaniel, yeah, too. Yeah, three in a row, by the way, beat. yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And by the way, there's some random game in here I read. I, I said you're playing yourselves. I, for, I, I apologize. So Gettysburg, Muhlenberg, Hopkins, three at home, then, then McDaniel and Swarthmore then, on the road. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I, we, we, you know, we went up to Muhlenberg in December and we lost by two. And then we lost to Hopkins, I think, by four. I think the final was down there. And, you know, there is certainly an advantage to being at home. I mean, just having to get on a bus for two hours or whatever, it's, it's, it, it's nice to be home. And, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I think we were able to beat Gettysburg at their gym, and Gettysburg was able to beat Muhlenberg in their place. So yeah. I think, uh, I think it's, you just have to show up and play. And, and some really talented teams and really you know, great teams and, that match up differently. So I think we all have our challenges with, depending on which team you're playing. But uh, I really do think that this is something, a league that, that, that could be anybody in those top teams yeah. have a chance to, to pull it out. Well, it's been fascinating to watch. You've got two seniors on, their, on this team, and they happen to be leading the way. And yeah. both in double figures, and Sierra Burkle at 14.5 points a game and eight rebounds, and Samantha Wetzel 
13 and a half points a game, nine rebounds, uh, and third high on, on the assist category. It's clearly those two who are the, the bread and butter, as it were, of this team, but a lot of good supporting cast as well. Yeah, you know, those. The, it's been really great to see how those two have developed. I mean, they both started, got minutes as freshmen and then started as sophomores. And, um, you know, their their level of improvement has been dramatic. And, and they're just, they've been captains. They're great leaders. They're great people. Um, but what's nice, I mean, you know, I think that people think that that's it. But we've got some kids that can really, guards that can really shoot it. And uh, Macy Goldback and Anna Sophia Capizzi. Juliana Clark, who's a freshman, and obviously our point guard, Katie Cook. So I, I think we have actually a lot more balance than it might appear on mm-hmm. paper because, um, you know, Sam had eight assists last night because everybody doubles in the post. She just kicks it out and yeah. kids are making shots. So, um, you know, when we're, when we're shooting well, we're, I think both inside and out, obviously we're, it's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, it's fascinating that the balance you point out, considering the statistics, it is, in some senses, a double-edged sword. You can go ahead and collapse and try and come into the paint and make it hard day. Hard day, but if those players on the outside are hitting shots, there's no stopping you guys. Well, there is, there has been, but <laughs> true um, three times. <laughs> you know, so yeah, uh, there has been. But um, you know, I just you know, I just think we have a really you know, our our conference is stronger than just the four top teams too. I think, you know, you already hinted at it. I mean, McDaniel and Dickinson, F and M or Sinus. I mean, those teams are capable of beating folks on a, on a on a day so um so it's you know it's a, it's been fun it, it's a grind now you play 20 conference games yeah. and you just have to you know you can't you can't have a bad day so we'll see we got a you know a week and a half left two weeks left and excited to to head into the the finish real curious um one of the the uh conferences i thought about when the schedule was opened up for november 8th now starting next year to start playing uh, games a week earlier. One of the conferences I thought about was the Centennial because, you know, in, in many years, it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. You're breaking into your first conference game. Your third game of the season this year was against Ursinus, followed by yep. Bryn Mawr and then F&M. You only got three games ahead or two games or three games ahead of that to break things in and get ready. Now you've got a little bit more time the conference can maybe get some non-conference or some conference games into a different slot of the month of the season while you can play non-conferences elsewhere i assume you are a fan well i mean our conference has actually had some discussion about yeah. the november 8th start date i've heard and um <laughs> yeah and and so and i don't think that's been finalized i mean you know uh, my my take on it and this is just me speaking mm-hmm. for me not necessarily the conference is that I do think it's a good thing um, in the sense that if you can fit another game or two, uh, whether it's conference or non-conference, I think ahead of time, I think it just alleviates trying to have those three- to four-game weeks that you have. Um, I think it makes sense, particularly like if November 15th falls on a Thursday Mm -hmm. and then you can play a game on that Tuesday, which is what's going to happen this year. Um, I do I do really understand the argument, though, like, per, for instance, in our conference where we've got championship weekend. Yeah. That, that, and, you know, when you talk about, again, the, the, the strain on institutions and their sports staff and, you know, maybe there's, you're hosting volleyball and you're going to yep. schedule a basketball game. I mean, I get that. I mean, I just think I, what I like is just having the wiggle room, and I think it's great. And then I think each school and conference can decide what's best. But... You're right. I mean, I, I think it's going to allow a little bit more flexibility in scheduling. It doesn't extend the season in any way at all, and uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, 
and, and in some senses, it also could allow the conference to maybe get some conference games in in December to to get off this three game a week every couple of weeks schedule that you guys have too, because you can move your non-conferences earlier in the season and the weekends are opened up a little bit for conference. Yeah. You know, I I haven't really had time to sit down and see what that looks like. I think what I wouldn't want to see is for, for them to move our conference schedule back even earlier. So that really just defeats the purpose. Right. I Um, agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like us, I think we need to be a little bit more creative in, in, in our conference because we have, we have a real interesting situation where about half the schools or most of the schools have finals yeah. one week and then Swarthmore, Bryn Mawr, Haverford are on a different week so yes. we can't play for two weeks yes. so I think we need to look at maybe playing some games against the teams that aren't in finals you know and and, and trying to space it out because you, you know I don't I don't think it's good for the student athletes to play Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday I think you know when you've got games on the road and you're traveling and you're in class I mean, I just don't think it's the best thing for the kids. You know, forget about the competitive and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it's hard on them, you know, academically. So I think we can spread it out. It might help everybody. Yeah, I've had uh, different schedules where I've I've kind of rolled my eyes at the complaints about the student-athletes. I won't go into it. But your example is one I absolutely agree with. You can get absolutely loaded up in that Centennial Conference. And then it's not even – not everybody's technically playing that three-game week. The men aren't, you know, sometimes when the women are playing. Yeah. Like last week, all the women were playing on Tuesday and the men weren't um, because of the quirk with Bryn Mawr. So the scheduling quirk, that is. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and, and I hope – I'm glad to hear a coach also say, I get the crossover dilemma. I mean, you can go on the road, right? You can find an opponent on the road. You don't necessarily have to be at, in home for that opening weekend or that opening week of, of yeah, the season. But, but even if you're playing a game, I mean, you know, I mean, we've got trainers and we've got SIDs right. that are going to be swamped with conference True. championships. So, you know, you run into that in February too, when we start lacrosse. And so I think you just, you know, we all have to be aware of that, that, you know, we're not, we don't have these unlimited resources in division three. And I think people have to do what's best for their, their schools and their programs. But having that flexibility, I think is, is really a, a great thing. Cause it's, it's only going to help. Oh, uh, great to chat with you about that. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us to talk about the committee, to talk about your team, what is going to be a fascinating centennial race. I think we had uh, four teams in the centennial a few years back. I could easily see that happening again, Um, though it may not. I'm not alluding to anything, but it would be fun to see. Uh, Bobby, thanks so much for taking the time. I know we'll look uh, look forward to talking to you at the end of the season once all the uh, business of it has been finished. Um, As always, we give you the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuning in? No, I, I mean, I'm wishing everybody good luck as they head into the final weeks of the season. And, and thanks to you guys for, for everything you do for Division Three. I think it's awesome. And uh, good luck to everybody. Very good. Thank you. Take care. And uh, hopefully I'll run into you somewhere down the road soon. All right. Take care. All right. See All right, you. Bye-bye. Bobby Morgan joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. We will use this as a reference point. We will say go back and listen to the committee. They've got a lot to figure out. We're not going to know regional rankings till next week. If you're wondering why I didn't ask, it's because not that we aren't going to do that. Mock rankings are mock rankings. Um, but good insight from her. Appreciate that. And also watch Centennial Women's Race. It is fascinating. Uh, I just realized I'm going to miss out seeing uh, them at McDaniel. I call some games at McDaniel. That's unfortunate. would love to see Haverford in person, but we'll miss out on that. 
Um, but congratulations to them in the Centennial race. And by the way, she talked about, it's nice to hear a coach say, I am aware and understanding, granted she's an administrator as well, of that crossover season and how that impacts the school. It's great. I know I've heard that the Centennial Conference, I shouldn't say I know, but I've heard the Centennial Conference has been considering saying, okay, they may have opened it up on November 18th, 8th, but we're going to still limit you to starting November 15th. Let me say this, and in, in, in all respect to any conference out there, even period, please don't do that. Please don't turn around on this legislation and say, well, it may have been voted in at the D3 level, but we're going to say you can't start until the 15th. Please don't do that. There's all kinds of reasons that's a bad idea. The first one is other teams will start, and the Centennial teams uh, won't start. We already had that with practices. It doesn't seem to affect the NESCAC, but now you're talking about not starting games to a week later. You're taking on opponents who've gotten two or three games under their belts. That's going to have an adverse effect. Please don't do that. If you want to put rules in place that say, listen, this is crossover season. Volleyball, soccer, football. They have priority on facilities and management. They have priority on staffing. They have a prior all that stuff. And if if your game is to affect those, your game will be moved. I'm fine with that. If this conference wants to turn around and say, listen, you can schedule a basketball game at home or even on the road that day. But if it affects staffing, we will move that game then coaches know that. And coaches will know their teams are probably in play for a while ahead of that and will make smart decisions based on that. Let that be a rule. Don't put a rule in place that says you can't play until November 15th until we're done with crossover season. Listen, we deal with crossover season in the spring all the darn time. We deal with men's volleyball teams having to find a way to get around the in-house facilities. We deal with lacrosse games and baseball games and softball games starting and playing two games on days that basketball has a doubleheader or conference tournament. We're already dealing with that crossover, maybe to a smaller degree because there's more sports in the fall. I get that, and there's certainly those who have ice hockey as well. I get all that. We deal with it, and we without restriction in the spring. Let's not put that restriction now into the winter. Put rules in place, I'm fine. This takes priority, and we will move your game. So be it. You know, We move it to that evening or to the next day. Then everybody knows that going in. But please do not say... You will not start your games till November 15th. That rule, I'm not a fan of. Now, we can talk about the spring sports and finding a better start season for them. I think lacrosse starts way too early. Lacrosse shouldn't be starting till March 1. That's a seasonal thing. That's not a crossover thing. We should not be playing games. I will be calling a Division I lacrosse game on February 10th. February 10th. Come on. That is a seasonal thing. That's not, that's not a crossover thing. It's still going to cross over. Um, but again, please don't put those restrictions in place. Got a question that said, um, Trinity, women, chance that they are, if they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Well, it's a little early to make that prediction, but let's look at the NESCAC none the same and just see how things are shaking out there. Of course, NESCAC is, uh, whoops, I'm on the men's side. Hold on, here we go. Dominated by Amherst and Tufts, though Bowden now in that conversation as well. Trinity is 13-7, and 1-5. and five. To be honest with you, I don't think Trinity makes the NCAA tournament unless they win the AQ in the conference. At 13-7, and seven, that's way too many losses. 5-5 uh, five and five in their last 10, they are not in good shape. Um, quickly looking at their schedule, uh, their out-of-conference schedule does nothing to impress anyone. Yeah, no. Trinity Tech, Connecticut women are going to have to earn their way into the tournament by winning the AQ. I don't see any way they win the uh, – they get an at-large bid with seven losses. Considering if we're talking at-large, 
They've got at least an eighth loss there with what doesn't appear to be a very strong strength of schedule. I'll try and call up those strength of schedule numbers here, uh, though it'll take a moment to load. Uh, no, I don't think Trinity Connecticut's got any chances in that large in the NCAA tournament. Speaking of the NESCAC, coming up next, Dave Hickson will join me from Amherst Men's Basketball as part of the NABC Coaches Corner. He'll talk to me about what he's doing. I know it's a little crazy for a D3 Hoops guy to talk to an NABC guy about the All-America teams, but we will talk to them about that at some point. I uh, got a little note that says, look at the MIA men's standings after last night's games. No, I plan to. We will get to the MIAA here momentarily. In the meantime, Trinity, Connecticut, I will say their SOS isn't bad at a 564. Uh, so at least the 564 is going to keep Trinity in the conversation. I guess they're out of conference schedule a little better than I thought it was. Uh, at least from that point of view, they're out of conference. Their win opponent winning percentage is 537, and their opponent opponent winning percentage is 545. So maybe it was better than I thought. Uh, so I take some of that back. That said, it's still a lot of losses. The women definitely don't tend to reward the high SOS as much as the men do. Um, at some point, the women kind of cut bait on that win-loss percentage, and their win-loss percentage right now is 611. I really don't think Trinity gets into the tournament unless they win the automatic bid. I, I still say that, even though I see now a really strong SOS. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dave Hickson joins us. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum. It's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment, the game-winning shot that gets you to the dance, a monster dunk or no-look pass, and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. 
nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I'm a Division Three student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I'm a Division Three student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I used to never really talk, ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. How it wouldn't change it for the world. Division three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. How wouldn't change it for the world? College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. 
This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoops, everybody. Sorry for the delay there. Uh, we were trying some new stuff. Couldn't get it to work, so we're uh, moving forward. Got any questions for us on this marathon? At D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. It's now time to head to the, um, what is it, the uh, NABC Coach's Corner early in this show. We're going to talk to a coach who's certainly a now stranger to the show, but we haven't talked to him about a lot of the other things he does on the court necessarily, or off the court, I should say. Dave Hickson from Amherst is synonymous with obviously winning and many other things, but he's also pretty good uh, at doing things off the court in support of student athletes and fellow coach coaches. And joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach of the Mammoths of Amherst, it is Dave Hickson. <laughs> Sir, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm well. Uh, real quick note to those of you out there, I see your questions. I will try and get to them as soon as we possibly can uh, as well, um, including emails. So first and foremost, we'll talk about your team in the conference a little bit at the end, but I wanted to point out, you do a lot of stuff off the court, especially in support of the NABC, that keeps you maybe a little bit busier than people realize uh, one of those things happens to be the All-America selection. You chair that committee for the NABC at the, the, the Division Three level. Kind of a rival of ours, but not in the same way, so I, I say it tongue-in-cheek. Why, why is something like that so important to you? Well, I think it's really important to get our student-athletes recognized. And, uh, you know, everybody gets all excited about, you know, being an All-America. Division Three is an interesting dilemma because... It's a national sport in the end, but it's really not a national sport. In other words, it's very segmented into the regions. And so, you know, we end up doing everything by region. And uh, so it's not a perfect situation, but we've really worked hard at trying to make sure it's it's the truest representation that we can give our kids. And, uh, you know, we encourage all the members to vote, uh, which makes it, again, uh, a more valid or validation of a really good player. Uh, we have the different leagues represented. We, we do a lot of work, and it, it's funny. This stuff all happens, uh, as you were mentioning, when you get most busy. Uh, you know, you're trying to make the tournament, meaning even your NESCAC tournament or your league tournament, and then you're trying to make the NCAAs. And while you're really working hard at all that, you know, you're trying to compile all of this other information, which uh, I love. I mean, I love doing it. Uh, I love talking to other coaches about it. Uh, I think over the last... Uh, I, I don't know even know 15 years I've done it, but the uh, 
uh, the last three or four years, we've really done a great job, I think, uh, with the use of electronics. And, you know, not that I'm very good at any of that, as you know, through me, you not being able to get me on Skype. But, the, uh, uh, you know, we've done a great job to where we get to the final eight best players, in quotes, in the country. And that, that's not always true either because, again, it's regional. So we take the best player from every region. And we actually, you know, are sending each other films, statistics, uh, highlights on these kids so that we can make the right, what we think is the right selection at the end. And so it's a wonderful process. Uh, it's a, for about a three-week period. It's, it's a little bit work intensive and particularly one week. Um, but it's fun. It, it really is fun, and I enjoy doing it. And it somehow, go, in some ways, it also goes hand-in-hand hand with the All-Star game because – the All-Star Committee is kind of interested in what you guys are doing to some degree to make sure they have some of the most highly uh, awarded players on the floor in Salem. Yeah, and that's difficult. I mean, I, those guys have a tougher job than we do. I mean, you know, we're counting ballots, and we're trying to get ballots to come in so that we can get as many uh, votes in as we can to truly represent the kids. But then they have to sort of dovetail off us. They're waiting for us in order to make some of these decisions. They're waiting until the last minute to see you know, who's going to be in the title game? Because some of the mm -hmm. best players that they want in the All-Star game, you know, might be in the title game. And they don't know that up until the very last minute. And so for them, it's not only work intensive, but it, it's last minute. And it really is a bit of a scramble. And, uh, you know, those guys do a great job. Now, you guys have a quirk with your All-America all, all team. And, you know, at D3 Hoops, we have, you know, 5-5-5. Five, five, five. Our mentality is it's, it's a team that would be able to take the floor, as it were, um, and that is what it is. Uh, you guys have it where you make sure one from each region is selected, and thus you have eight. And, and to some degree, I think it, it, it may confuse people because I don't think they truly appreciate what you guys are trying to accomplish. But can you give us a little bit of the mentality behind having one from each region on each team? Yeah, and so, again, there's no perfect way to do it because we're not really, until the very end, until the Final Four, we're not a national sport. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, you might remember the rule uh, it was only a couple years ago that you didn't even get credit for playing somebody outside your region. Right. And so it truly wasn't a national sport. And so I don't get to see, unless I take a, a winter trip, I don't get to see Pomona. You know, I don't get to see Claremont. I don't get to see some of the great Midwest schools, uh, some of the great Southern schools. I don't get to see those schools, and I don't get to see those players. Uh, we're not on TV, so people, you know, get to know all these names firsthand. And so you're telling me who the player of the year is out there in the, on the West Coast in that conference, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, and so to, in the old days, again, I'm going to go back. The people, people actually sent out mailings, vote for this guy as the player of the year. And so schools that had you know, full-time SIDs had the finances to do it. They were sending out pamphlets to every school, name recognition. You get some votes, and kids were getting elected primarily because they were getting more promotion. And so... Um, we decided, because it's, everything is so regional and has been so regional up to this point, that there was really no, way, no fair way to compare until the very end, you know, the top vote-getter in the Northeast with the top vote-getter out there and say that they're both not all Americans. And so uh, I can imagine the intensive work and video watching we'd have to do to accomplish that. So it's been eight. And even within the eight, it's really funny. So I'll give you an example. that We had a really good player years and years ago. Uh, and Williams had a great player, too. And I think their player was player of the year in the country at least three times, maybe just twice, but I think three times. And um, 
you know, our player was good enough to be a first-team All-American, but because he was second-team All-Region, because of this kid who was player of the year in the country, his senior year, by the way, mm-hmm. um, our team might have been our kid might have been the second best player in the country that year, but he was second-team All-American. So it's not perfect. Um, we try to give the best representation we can to the kids. The next level would be, you know, to um, to have a committee that that's all they did and watch film and actually select these kids, um, you know, by watching film on them and, and, and decide of a first five team. I don't know how you guys, I mean, I know you guys do a great job. I don't know how you guys accomplish that, um, but it's really hard. And so this is where we're at. Um, if we do hire a very, if the NCAA were to hire a full-time committee just to break down film and do that, I want to head that one up. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a geek in that way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not easy on our end, I'll admit. A lot of coffee, a lot of uh, conversations, a, a very long breakfast brunch. The other, uh, Last year, I know, for example, between our little group trying to put the a- America, All-Americans together. Now, we have a, we are basing it off all regions, so we kind of take the ability of building from a group that's already been established, as it were. Um, my question to you is, is, does it also feel, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit, does it also feel a little bit odd that you might say someone is first-team All-America, when in reality there's guys on the second and third team on your team that you know are clearly better than that individual. And that's not a knock on that individual. I'm talking about right. the talent that's below yep. them more than anything. But you can't show that. You can't display that because you are only restricting yourself to one to each region. Right. And, and you know, I just if, if we had a solution to that, uh, and, again, I think it would be a committee and a lot of film, uh, but if we had a solution to that, I think, you know, we'd implement it. Uh, it's really interesting. So what we do is that we have to wait until all of the all-league teams are announced. We take every first team all-league from each from each league, their first team, their player of the year, and their coach of the year, and we include that in the ballot. Mm-hmm. So in the Northeast, you know, we'll have like whatever it is, 11 leagues, uh, and each one of those first teams, each player of the year, so – and each coach of the year, and so when when the voters get that, there's some education going on already. So the people look around and they say, "Well, look, the New Max a really good league. Uh, they're always a good league, and you know why should I be voting for this guy when I can vote for the player of the year?" In other words, those coaches have already made that analysis that this kid's player of the year. So why should I vote for somebody who's on the second team, but I know him because we played against him, and so. The education starts there. I think we do a really good job with that. So everybody's looking at players of the year in their conference, voted on by those coaches that know those kids and their leagues the best. Then we move to the next step. And unfortunately, when you get to the next step, it becomes regional, and there's no cross-regional, really cross-regional viewing of players. And that's where we hit you know, that hurdle and can't really go beyond. So it is true. There's going to be a player who's on the second team in the Northeast, perhaps, who's, as I told you, the second best player in the entire country, but he's second team All-American, not mm-hmm. first, and will never get a chance to be first because he's in the same graduating class as a kid who's better than him and is player of the year in the country. Yeah. So it's a tough one. It, you know, we hope the kids you know, really appreciate the recognition. Being a second team All-American in a, in a you know, country that has 430, 434, whatever, that, 400, I don't know, 400 whatever teams, yeah. Is a pretty amazing, um, you know, accomplishment, and uh, 
you know, if they ever need me to write them a letter that that would say that, hey, don't worry about being second team, I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, good point. Uh, and sometimes, Dave, you're doing this while you're still neck deep in the NCAA tournament. A lot of years you've had to be doing this while neck deep in the tournament. Well, and and even funnier. So, NESCAC was the first, at least Northeast team, to decide that you know we were more important than NCAA selections and uh, typical NESCAC. And uh, they uh, we held our conference championship on Sunday while the selections were getting ready to go on. And so I was on the selection call. So when I served on the committee as well, which I've done probably four times yeah. in my. I was the All-America guy. I was on the regional selection committee, and I was trying to prepare for a conference championship at noon. And uh, at about 11.30, I'd say, hey, guys, i got to go down and talk to my kids. You know? <laughs> They'd like to see me today. <laughs> yeah, you know, we got to go. And so, you know, we put up different scenarios, like if Amherst wins, here's the ranking. If Amherst loses, then this is the ranking. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really stressful, busy time of the year. Uh, I always enjoy doing it. Um, I think it's important that you have people on those committees, uh, whether it's the All American Committee or the Selection Committees, that are invested, truly invested, a hundred percent. That they have seen the teams play, that they talk about what they know. And of course, everything's done by numbers more now. Mm-hmm. But if it ever gets at all subjective. You know, when I first started serving the committee, we had some administrators on it that didn't know the difference between basketball and volleyball. <laughs> and uh, with oh, all due respect, geez. volleyball. And the um, and that used to drive me crazy on those calls. And then we had another administrator on there, an old fellow from Salem State, a guy named John Galaris, who was more invested than many of the coaches. He went out and he actually traveled around New England to see games, to, to, to see what teams were about and see what was going on. And so it's just really important to select people for your committees that are really invested. Like you guys are invested. I mean, can you imagine not being invested in trying to run D3 hoops? Yeah. No, I know what you mean. True. Good point. Uh, yeah. The wife would wish I was less invested. <laughs> uh, that's a shout-out because I know she's tuning in. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the other thing, Dave, is, is you definitely are invested in, in, in what you're doing off the court. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, you talk about the committee and you talk about this All-America team. Uh, responsibilities and other things in the NABC, and I, I'm not sure what else you do. I know, for example, you're a huge cheerleader for your son, who is an Olympian. Uh, and by the way, I've seen a lot of video of you in the stands. It's funny how they're talking about your wife, and I'm sitting there going, talk about the dad! Um, he's pretty darn good himself. Um, what else do you get yourself involved in, and, and why is it so important to you to be so involved off the floor? Well, you know, you can only do so much, but, you know, we do we do community service type stuff around you know, in our community, but on, on a more national level, uh, you know, cancer research and all of the things that surround cancer are really important to me. I think it's, um, you know, I don't know anybody that hasn't been touched by it. If you haven't been, God bless you. Um, but I've been touched closely by it. And I think that, um, you know, whether it's cancer research, there's another group that we support, which is um, sort of the, they call them the angels, you know, the people who, when people are going through cancer treatment, whether they're going to survive or not survive, those are the people that you hear stories about later on by people who have survived or families of survivors or non-survivors, rather, who, who say what wonderful people they are. And so the training of those people, we inv- I invest in a group that, that um, uh, does that. But the uh, So last year we did the three-point challenge mm-hmm. uh, for the first time, and I'm 
proud to say that we did such a great job that we finished fourth in the country. And that fourth in the country, not Penn State was one, Villanova was two, UCLA was three. You know, and Duke's behind us. Um, all of these bigger money schools, and Amherst is fourth in the whole country for three-point uh, money raised on three-point shots. And I think the reason we weren't first was that we didn't play as many games uh, in February. Uh, you know, to generate uh, maybe we don't, I don't let my kids shoot enough threes. I don't know, but huh. the uh, I know that every time a kid made a three, I was sort of like thinking, like, boy, there's money out of my wallet. <laughs> but the uh, I'm very proud of what my team did and and Amherst did last year in presenting itself uh, in the three point challenge and where we finished up. And I, that's a big thing for me. I mean, I, if there's one thing I could do, um, you know, it would be to figure something out with cancer, whether it's whether it's you know getting rid of cancer, which you know, I don't know how close we are to that, but even cancer treatment is is so difficult on people. There's got to be a more humane way to treat people with cancer. And I'm hoping that that all of this funding and stuff, and collective funding that we can all create uh, for that, that there's a solution coming. Uh, pretty amazing, to say the least. The time you give back, and we all know you as a coach uh, who's got one of the better programs, at least perennially, in the country. Uh, and so the, the time you give is certainly a testament to just how busy life can be, and you keep giving. That's uh, Hats off to you, to say the least. Uh, quickly about your team before we let you go, or the conference race especially. Uh, you guys are 13-6, and 4-2 and two in the thick of the conference. Middlebury's leading the way at 5-1, and one, Wesleyan at 5-2. and two. You're stuck with Williams, Amherst. Uh, ha- Williams and Hamilton, I'm sorry, 4-2, and two, and Tufts sitting behind you at 4-3. and three. This is one heck of a NESCAC race this year. We saw it last year. We saw it the year before. Every night has another twist and turn. Uh, what are your thoughts on the race this year? Yeah, I mean, they're really good teams. And, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're getting better. I mean, I think we're a nightmare for people. I think that, uh, you know, we were young and then lost one of our better players to an ACL and uh, became a little bit younger. And, and that's okay. And we've grown through it. And so I look back, you know, First of all, one of our losses is at NAI, so it won't count. Right. Um, you know, so we're thirteen and five, but you know, we we lose to Babson by one um, on a three-point foul shot called, uh, you know, with point five on the clock, and so we lose we lose to Williams by three. Shot clock's at zero, and the ball's still in the kid's hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I showed you that picture. I did. The, I saw uh, it. Uh, you know, we lose to Weston by four. Uh, we lose to Eastern Connecticut by three. So we're right there that we're a problem for a lot of people. You know, I don't know where we're going to end up in the end because we've got a tough schedule coming. We've got on the road to Tufts, on the road to Bates, uh, on the road to Westland, and then we have uh, Williams Middlebury to finish at home. But it's a really good conference this year. It is really wide open. I've been watching everybody on film. Um, I honestly think there are you know, most of the teams could beat each other, and and you can see that games have been close. And uh, and I don't even think it's home and away as much this year as it just is. It's, if you're shooting the ball well that night, people can beat each other. And it's uh, you know, Colby takes Hamilton in the overtime. They took us yeah. right to the end, and you know, Colby's sitting down in in tenth place. And I think that on their day, they're going to beat anybody. And it's just uh, so this Bowden's really good. Yeah. And we were fortunate to beat Bowden. They were fourteen and three or fourteen and four going into that game, and you know we played really well. I think we're we're playing well at the right time, but they're really good teams. And we, you know, you guys have, you know, I think about it. So Eastern Connecticut is ranked. We lose mm-hmm. by three. Westland's ranked. We lose by four. 
Williams rank, we lose by three. Uh, Hamilton's rank, we win by 27. Uh, crazy, right? Yeah. No, crazy. absolutely. And, uh, but I think it's a really good conference. I think that uh, I don't know if we're as strong at the very top as we've been some sure. years. Sure. But the mix, you know, the ranked teams, still rankable teams, uh, it's a really strong conference. You've got Tufts, Bates, and Wesleyan on the road in the next three. The Wesleyan game being a non-conference little three game. Yeah. <clears throat> in case anyone's curious, it's the return match of the little three between Wesleyan, Amherst, and, and Williams. It won't count in conference standings. Then you finish with Williams and Middlebury, just as Hamilton will uh, on the back end of that uh, of the season. You've got a lot of tests still ahead of you. <laughs> to say the least, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what this is all about. This is like, I've, I, first of all, I love this team. You know, I thought we struggled a bit last year with chemistry, which is unusual for us. But mm, interesting. Uh, you know, and I thought so. We so we sort of did it the other way. We sort of struggled in the second semester after having a great first semester. This year, we had a good first semester. We struggled for four, five, six games, but now we're coming out of it. And they're young. They're enthusiastic. They're incredibly coachable, uh, and we're getting better. I mean, it's a wonderful thing as a coach when you can see kids start to do things. We did some things in the Bowden game that we've been talking about for three weeks hmm. that haven't quite clicked, and they clicked in the Bowden game. And I'm thinking, like, all right, this is good. It makes me feel like I'm actually deserving to earn some money to coach. <laughs> <laughs> I think you earned that a while ago, Coach. Hey, <laughs> I hate to ask this, uh, but I'm always curious. You, you continue to do well. You continue to keep pace. But how much more you got in you? I mean, you've been doing coaching for a long time. I'm just fascinated. Glenn Robinson, I asked him the same question. I hope you're around for a long time. Don't get me wrong. But at what point are we going to turn around and all of a sudden I've got a text message saying, hey, it was fun? Uh, I promise you, first of all, you'll be one of the first people I know. But the other thing is that it won't be more than 15 years. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, we got a chance to double up Hoopsville's run of 30 seasons before we, at the least. I mean, the most. All right, that's good to know. <laughs> but is it, is it something that even crosses your mind anymore? Or are you so... in? enjoying what you're doing that it's it's not even a topic of conversation well you know this year has been just a you know almost a recharge of the battery because um you know i have aaron Toomey with me who's yeah. now in his third year here and is really growing into being a great young coach uh you can see my other guys kevin hopkins just beat swarthmore last yes. night um matt goldsmith's winning the uh, njac down there but i also have adam hutchinson back with me which is yeah. uh, you know, it's it's just been a this wonderful year. I mean, not only do I love my team, but as three coaches putting our heads together, you know, there's a pool of knowledge there, which is wonderful. And and like I'm learning stuff. I mean, I'm excited. Uh, it's there's you know to use Adam's experience of the last 20 years as a head coach is is been a phenomenal resource for me. From a different part of the country, doing different things, playing different teams, seeing different things. Uh, it's really been it's this has been a recharge year for me so you know people you know people shouldn't think it's next year that i'm retiring <laughs> that's good to hear that's good to hear yeah and and we can go into it we'll talk about it some other time your coaching tree is expansive to say the least well i love what they're doing i, I was so proud i watched kevin's game at the end last night and you know i've been there before naturally but to watch him uh you know navigate the stretch run last night was absolutely terrific and i've been watching matt's game when i can and uh, for them, you know, I've always had great respect for the NJAC and uh, such a tough league night in, night out, and different style of ball, just physical, aggressive, athletic. 
um, and to be, you know, the, the number one school when you're the best academic school in the conference, you know, I'm so proud of these guys and what yeah. they're doing. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. we got to let you go, but uh, good luck. Oh, and by for, the way, and, and, yeah. and i just I got to tell you, Luke and Luke Fokersi, I, oh, I yeah. love Luke out. Luke's my guy and yeah. up at Rochester, too, and he's doing a phenomenal job and does every year. So. Yeah, God he's uh, he, he's the Motley Crew I, I, of the <laughs> of, of your one of your assistants. He's got so many different trees he's involved with. It's right. insane. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, uh, yeah, thank you guys all the time for all the wonderful stuff you do. And and I'm uh, I haven't had a chance to read as much as I'd like, only because of we're trying to win some games to <laughs> so that we can be talking to you in March, and that's always the goal. And uh, uh, I'm hoping I'm talking to you in March. I, that would be one one of my favorite conversations would be to have one in March with you. So I can understand that, and it would uh, be kind of cool as well. Okay. God well, bless you, man. Thanks, Coach. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Dave Hickson joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, not too shabby a season so far. Certainly a challenge is ahead. The NASCAC is a beast this year. Interesting comments he made it that you know maybe the top isn't as strong as we're used to. Okay, that's maybe worth a note. Um, but it is deep. It is very deep, and maybe a little bit of cannibalism going on there. Maybe it's a good thing they don't play a double round, Robin. We'll see how the regional rankings shake out and how things move as we get to the end of February about how many NESCAC teams might come dancing out of that area. It's always a topic of conversation, rightly or wrongly, of, of how many teams they get in. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on it and keep it and uh, figure out what's going on. But Amherst, interesting. He also commented that they had some uh, chemistry problems last year. I think that's what we saw. Remember, their big win last year was Babson. We went on to win a national championship, and after that, they played about 500 or less than 500 ball, made the NCAA tournament despite some of us saying, I don't know if they've got the resume for it, and losing in the first round. Interesting, it might have been a chemistry issue, and this year maybe they're solving some of those things. But nice to have Coach Hickson on the line, and we appreciate him taking the time. A little bit behind schedule, so we're going to keep things moving. Coming up next, we uh, talk to the head coach from Bethany Lutheran. Lyle Jones joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline to talk women's basketball. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, then I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division III school, you primarily a student athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. Cheer for the stumbles. The heat should have had bats. 
and the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this marathon show. We are an hour and a half into what is 12 hours of basketball talk here on Hoopsville. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're getting a few questions in there. We'll certainly try and keep you abreast. We're running the simulcast on Facebook as well right now. Don't know how long we can keep that running. We'll try and keep it running throughout the day. It may be one of those things where we miss part of it and get back into it. We'll do our best it's a little tricky to keep the thing running, but we'll do what we can. All right, so let's uh, jump into some women's basketball. And certainly one of the topics of conversation uh, is across the country is how each region is doing and how each conference is doing. Well, I jumped into the UMAC, and no surprise, Superior, despite a new head coach, is leading the way at 17-4 and overall and 12-0 in the conference. However, if you were to look a line below them, you would discover Bethany Lutheran. They're also 17 and 4, 10 and 2 in conference play. The Vikings just might be the perfect storm here for the Superior to deal with, and maybe we see them dancing in the NCAA tournament. But there's a lot of basketball to be played. They are in the middle of a significant winning streak, eight in a row with four to play. And joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach for Bethany Lutheran. It is Lyle Jones. Coach, thanks for taking the time. No problem, Dave. It's uh, nice to be on the show. Well, I appreciate it. Um, well, again, you're you're having a tremendous season. What I didn't say in any of that is you've already surpassed the win total from every single year dating back to 2008. The last time you won at least 17 games was the 2006-2007 season as a program, I should say. This is a small college, and you're doing pretty well this season at 17-4. And, and in the eyes of the NCAA tournament, or its committee, we should point out 14-4. and four. You have three games there against non-Division threes, but you got to be pretty thrilled with what this team is doing and, and the turnaround you've seen this season. Well, you know, I think I was hired like four years ago to, to try to get this program a, a little more successful, and I told them it would take us about three years, and that's kind of where we are. The first year we weren't able to really recruit. It was too late. Uh, they hired me late. So we're very happy with where we're at. Uh, we've got some nice kids in uh, that are kind of right in within our system and our philosophy, and uh they're hardworking, independent-minded, uh, competitive young women, and uh, <laughs> they really get after it here, and uh, they, they really hate to lose. And uh, so we're fighting. We're in second place, I believe, right now. We're fighting. Uh, we're we're going to have Superior coming up here in a week, and uh, girls are uh, just happy and excited where we are, and they're just working hard in practice. Uh, nice uh, prediction there if I do say so myself telling them within three years and, and you're kind of doing it so uh, I, I got to give you some credit um when you look at this season so far again you started the season with three non-conference or non-division three games sandwiched around <laughs> two games against central kind of a wacky schedule uh, to start things off and I realize sometimes where you're located you do what you can but you won all those games, and then you hit a slide losing two in a row against Lacrosse and Northwestern. That can be a breaking point with a squad where they felt really confident but against similar teams, and then they go up against some others, and things kind of go sideways on them. How would you guys kind of keep that from kind of blowing apart, as, a, as it were? You know, we, we could have set our goals on, on the teams that we're playing, and we knew that Lacrosse was a really tough team, and, of course, 
when we played Northwestern, we really didn't shoot well there. So we have we have some minor goals that we're setting, long long term goals for each game, and uh, we know and the girls know it's a, it's a process uh, that. You know, we're going to take each game at a time, and, and we really, as we instruct them and, and teach them in, in the practices, is that you can lose three or four games, and we just want to get better every single game, and we have. And we've set goals, and I, I think you kind of know, like we always said, we want to make more free throws than our other teams that we play our opponents uh, shoot, and that's kind of where we are this year, and I think we're almost number one in the country in that aspect. Hey, you're having a really good season uh, this year in a lot of statistical categories. You do have losses to McAllister and Superior, of course, tripped you up. Uh, you've got a rematch coming with Superior. But again, you're on an eight-game winning streak here. You've beaten Carleton out of conference, and then it's been conference play the rest of the way, including a win over Northwestern, 70-52 just uh, last night. Um, Non-conference play includes, unfortunately, the loss to lacrosse, but you've got other wins in there that have, that have been significant. What's the conversation in terms for this team in the locker room and, and, and how you're playing now on this eight-game winning streak? Well, we again, we take everything in perspective. I mean, the girls know that we're doing well, but uh, we're always looking at where we can improve. And one of the areas that we're really looking at in practice and then, of course, trying to translate that into the game is our defense. And uh, to have a whole game, a whole team effort in the defensive end, uh, to try to hold some teams down a little bit. We know as we get into, let's say, like Superior as who's coming up here, that we're going to need to play very well defensively. The other aspect that we look at is trying to be more efficient, more effective in our offense, getting our set plays down when we call them, and uh, just uh, playing overall better basketball. Um, when you look at the fact that Superior beat you guys by 18, is that something you you look at shaking your head, or is that something you know the the nuts and bolts of the game told a different story in that rematch coming up, which will be at home, could be a different story? You know, I, I think we look at it in a lot of different ways. And, and as one of the things that we told our girls, I believe it was the second, third, and fourth quarter, we won all three of those quarters. We had one quarter where we, we didn't do well, and that was that was pretty much determining the game. So... Within that aspect of that first quarter, it was a lot of turnovers, a lot of one, two pass and shoot. And so those things they know they got to work on, and uh, by no means do they think they, they can't win that game. They're, they're going in there to, to try to take that away. As we all know, Superior, for the last, I think, four years or so, has been at the top the whole time. So, yeah, they're a good team, but uh, our girls really believe in ourselves, too. Talking to Lyle Jones here, head coach of the Bethany Vikings women's basketball team. Again, a small college uh, to some degree, Lyle, in the sense that I think five, 600 student uh, undergrads. How tough does that make recruiting? You know, it's interesting. I mean, uh, the top teams that are in our conference are right around 3,500 to 4,000. Right. And, um, you know, we have our niche. I mean, we've got uh, Haley Sandine, who's leading uh, the conference in scoring with 19 and and she wanted a small school. She wanted that private attention, uh, the low class size per professor professor uh, ratio, uh, the great academics, and uh, you know every school has their niche in their recruiting. I don't think it really hurts us that much. And in, th- in fact, I think every coach goes out and recruits as hard mm-hmm. as they possibly can. But sure. you sell your niche, uh, the academics, uh, the smallness, uh, and the commitment of the faculty and the staff to our students. 
Uh, you mentioned uh, her leading the team. She's a junior, 18 and a half points a game, four and a half, almost five rebounds a game. And the top assists, nearly 100 on the season. Um, that's a heck of a number uh, per game and shoots really well as, as well from the uh, free throw line at nearly 80% while being a 38% shooter. But you also have Abby Olson, a freshman, who's second on the team at 14 points a game. Then you have Hannah uh, Gestfeld and, and Brooke Henning, uh, I think. Uh, at least Henning's a senior. I can't remember Gesfeld. Both at right. eleven plus points a game. So you also have, while you have a few seniors on the squad, you have a lot of youth who are starting to push the way. This, as you said, turning it around in a couple of years. It's not for a one-year run here. You you really have some things developing here that you're going to be in the UMAC conversation for a while to come. It appears. Yeah, I think so. And I think you know, as a as a coach takes over program, that's exactly what it's about. It's about building the program, not just one season, uh, to try to do well. And, and we do have a couple freshmen that are starting for us, and we're, we're hopefully getting some nice kids in here uh, for the next year. And uh, and that's what you do. I mean, it's it's about the program, and we even preach that to the young ladies here. Is it's uh, where you give yourself to the program and see what we can do together. And uh, with our size and uh, commitment with the kids, uh, it's just, just paying off. Yeah, we should mention Gisfeld, one of those freshmen you mentioned, along with Olsen, who started every game so far this season. Henning is that senior, and along with Sandin, who is the uh, junior. And then uh, was it Dakota El- Ellinghausen, I'm going to guess, uh, is yeah. your fifth starter pretty much on a squad, though, that you're willing to go deep on. Is this as much success as you're having? Is this also a transitional year in trying to get these players as much experience and playing time as possible, so that you do have longevity and you've got a depth to this to this squad moving forward into the years to come? Well, that's one thing we've talked to about the starters. In fact, the, the older uh, kids on the team is that you know it's their responsibility to play as hard as they can to get these young kids some playing time again, for the program. Mm-hmm. And we do uh, rotate a lot of uh, some of our freshmen in. I know Emily Scrine is a sophomore transfer uh, from River Falls, and, and we try to rotate her in at the three spots. So really there's like three young kids in there playing and also a couple other freshmen we get in. And so we did bring in 10 freshmen this year, and uh, I would see, say next year, you know, those when they become sophomores, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of sophomores vying for the starting jobs or even playing. So yeah, we're looking down the road uh, to keep the program strong. Fascinating. Uh, all right, so let's talk about this UMAC race. It's been dominated by Superior since they entered the conference a couple of years ago. They continue to be there despite a new coach. They've got a two-game lead. Not, no, I, I don't know if you can catch them or not. Obviously, a split with them would be key. But is second good, too, in the sense that you can avoid Superior possibly until a championship game rematch? You know, that's something we've always talked about uh, throughout the last three three years is that we really don't matter. It doesn't matter to us who we play. If, if we would even come in fourth, uh, you play them first, I say bring them on. But right now I think we're, we're in second place pretty solid. Uh, yeah. We could split with them, but then someone else would have to beat them to take first place. But right. second place is unique. Uh, we get to host uh, a game here, uh, so a home court advantage in second place is is uh, huge, and so we're looking to to defeat Superior, but also if we can't, we definitely want that home court advantage. As they say, it's a, it's a really good consolation prize to some degree. You know it is. I mean, playing at home in the playoffs, and if you can get that win, and then go in and play uh, the number one team for to go to the national tournament. Uh, 
That's that's what it's about. I mean, at least you're in the you're in the playoffs. Uh, you're not sitting at home watching right, it. Right. And uh, something for the girls to uh, remember and work hard for, and then look down the road at what they've accomplished. Uh, one other thing before we let you go. How much is this also trying to keep the uh, the ladies? Um, heads in check. I hate saying it. That's the only thing that's in my head. But something along the lines of, hey, don't. We're on an eight-game winning streak. Let's not get ahead of ourselves is kind of where I'm going with this. How do you keep that in play considering how good the season really is but also knowing how much is still ahead of you? You know, some years it might be a little different for different coaches too. But for this year with the girls that we have, they honestly take one game at a time, and one, once we uh, defeat someone, they put it behind them and they don't look at that game again, which is kind of unique uh, for a set of young players. But uh, we, they win, they put it behind them, they look for the next game, whether that next team is good or whether they're in the middle of the pack or on the bottom of the pack, they take everybody serious. And that's one of the things I love about this team is the, their dedication and, and their commitment to what the, they want done by the end of the year. Wonderful. Well, Coach, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I'm glad you guys gave us a good reason to get you on. The turnaround for this program is, is worth of note, and the battle with Superior is one we'll keep an eye on. I appreciate you taking the time on this morning to talk about your Vikings. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? You know, I just think as, as far as our team goes, and you, you kind of mentioned our size, I, I don't think it really matters. I just think it's the heart of the girls' commitment, the dedication that they have, uh, and they get after it out there. And, and we're just pleased where we are. We hope our program stays uh, in the top of our conference, and we're always going to shoot for number one. And uh, it's great to have young ladies uh, come into a program and help build it. Oh, well said, Coach. Congratulations on the season at hand. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing how it finishes. And in the meantime, tip of the hat to your to your ladies. And we'll look forward to talking about the Vikings on a future show. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Lyle Jones joining us. Jones. <laughs> Easy for me to say. And most of my relatives are Jones. Lyle Jones joining us on the City of Salem. Hoopsville Hotline. Again, the Vikings. Eight-game winning streak right now. Don't, don't shrug them off in the UMAC. I know the UMAC doesn't get a lot of attention, but... They're in it with the with UW-Superior, and remember, whoever wins the AQ is in the NCAA tournament. So if they win the AQ, we're going to be talking about the Vikings anyway, right? Uh, congratulations to them as they move forward. We're going to take another break when we come back. Um, who do we have on slate? I'm even forgetting we're early on. Oh, yeah, Brad Fisher from UW-Oshkosh will join us via Skype. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. 
This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to the Marathon, Hoopsville Marathon. We are nearly done with two hours, which in our book is usually one show. We'll do six shows today. So one down and five to go when we get done with this interview. Got questions for us? You can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. You can join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You will hear that a lot. I will eventually get a little crawl at the bottom of our screen to remind you so I don't have to repeat it as much. Uh, two hours nearly down with this Hoopsville Marathon. We're talking nothing but Division Three basketball. Staying with the the um, women's theme and staying out in the same neck of the woods. We're going from Minnesota now to Wisconsin. And the WIAC men's and women's race is insane. Let's just call it what it is. On the women's side of things, one team that's in the mix, well, both programs are, but one team that's in the mix and trying to keep their head above the fray, not that that's possible, would be Oshkosh. And I'm not sure what to make of everything, so we're going to bring them in. Brad Fisher joins us on the City of Salem Skype hotline. And, Coach, thanks for taking the time. Morning, Dave. I think we got plenty to talk about here. Yeah, we do. I like how you've positioned a couple of your WIAC and NCAA um, <laughs> treasures, let's call them, behind you. Because that is the ultimate goal. But right now, the conference is not making it easy on you or anybody else. Yeah, it's been wide open this year, and I, th I think we all kind of knew it. We saw a lot of young players step up across the league last year, and and you know, teams have teams have gotten better. Coaches have done a great job tweaking what they do and and bringing new versions of themselves this year. And you know, every every three days things completely change. We've we've flipped the switch. We had five teams tied at five and two when we uh, turned the corner after the first half of the season, and. You know, the, the amount of circumstances that happened for a five-team tie halfway through the year to show you how, how up and down and, and how crazy our league has been. Yeah, I mean, the men's side is just as crazy, but the women's side at one point, I think it was last week, we were looking at a five-way tie or something like yeah. that for first yep. place. It, it continues to just boggle the mind. And, and, and the funnier part is you've got a Stevens Point squad who doesn't look like they're in the race, but they're very much in the race at three and six because they could upset anybody's day. You know Shirley's going to be ready. You're Absolutely. leading and tied with Whitewater at seven and two. Eau Claire lacrosse are now six and three, a game back, tied for third. 
and River Falls is five and four. Point is three and six. There's a bunch of battles going on. You want home court advantage. You also want to make the tournament, and you also want to position yourself as best for the possible for the tournament, the NCAA tournament, without taking too many losses. For some of these teams, are taking too many losses. At least it seems like you've at least stemmed that tide to some degree. Yeah, I mean we're still in it, you know, with five to go, and and with as good as everyone is, you know, we've knocked out. I think we've only got two road games left and that's been important you know you keep keep an eye on your schedule and when, when you finally get to play at home again um and that's it's been a war of attrition and you're you're right it's it's coming down to you know giving each other a lot of losses here when i really do think we have four or five teams that are ncaa caliber and unfortunately we've got to keep playing each other you know here to finish these last five games so you know it's it comes down to who, who stays healthy here at the end and and you just don't get a break if you, if you show up and don't play well for a week like we did kind of the first week of, of the whole conference year. Um, you know, you don't usually get to sneak by and say, oh, we snuck one out. You usually pay for it. So um, that's kind of what some teams have gone through throughout, you know, the ups and downs. And, you know, now we're entering a stretch where we play uh, Eau Claire, Whitewater, Lacrosse, three in a row, who, you know, you all just mentioned are within all a game of each other. So um, it's been kind of how the schedule works out, who's healthiest, and, and you've got to show up and play well. That's the thing. You were on a, you're on a roll uh, in the 2017 part of the schedule. And then Whitewater and Lacrosse started your 2018 part of the schedule, and you took back-to-back losses, though tight, two points to Whitewater yep. and, and six points to Lacrosse. And even I went, oh, oh what, <laughs> what, what just happened, and, and what does this mean for the WAC? Now, you've righted the ship since. You've won seven straight, but here we go again. You've got Eau Claire, then Whitewater, Lacrosse, Stevens Point, Stout. How do you keep what happened in the beginning from happening again and maybe putting yourself in a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, you just don't get a big margin of an error. And that first week, you know, we were up five on whitewater with 50 seconds to go and miss some free throws. They hit a buzzer beater and you know, it's, it, it's seasons are fragile and games are fragile. And you know, then we came on Saturday and lacrosse jumped us, I think 20 to 10 at the end of the first quarter. And, you know, we're digging uphill a conference maybe is a little rattled. So, um, you just you don't get a lot of opportunities to play poorly and and not not get through it. So, you know, that's what happened the first week. And I credit our girls for continuing to just kind of stay the course. And this is what we need to get better at. Um, and we've got a veteran team. So, you know, that part I wasn't too concerned about, you know, other than we've got to get back going, because if, if we don't, your season can, can kind of sit on the brink. So. Um, you know, we know who's ahead of us and we just played Eau Claire two weeks ago. So we're very familiar with each other. And, you know, there's not really a lot of secrets this time of year either. We all know each other and, and it's just a matter of coming out playing well and, and kind of trying to do the best that you can do with, with what you think your team is. So, um, you know, we're in a position now where we could play well and lose a couple of games here. And, you know, that's just the reality of the quality of our league. You have five seniors on the squad. Uh, you start two of them. Three of them are in your top five in scoring. Certainly that's an important part, but the junior class is also just as important. So, you know, we can read into that and go, hey, you've got a good team you want to take advantage of now, but it's not like you won't have other opportunities as you have proven year in and year out with this program. But talk about this senior class. Eliza Campbell leads the team in 12 points a game uh, and six rebounds a game. Emma Melitic is nine and a half points a game. Jamie Pitt, six and a half points a game. They also contribute in other ways. But can you talk about this senior class and what they have done for this program? Yeah, their their um, theme this year was to prove our culture. Uh, we lost three very important seniors that had started 
a lot of games. Taylor Schmidt was an All-American point guard for three years. So, um, you know, I think some people expected us to take a step backwards, losing, you know, people that are that important. And this senior class has taken it upon themselves. They're the second group I brought in, and I think a little forgotten, too, with that, that group ahead of them that was getting all the accolades and kind of the one that, that led us on this rebuild. So, um, you know, I'm really proud of them for doing the work to come up from behind. And they take a lot of pride in trying to make sure that this program continues going to NCAA tournaments and, and competing for conference championships. So um, with Eliza and Jamie and, and Emma, you know, I think they're all playing really well. We have Madeline Staples back for a, for a fourth year. Um, and, you know, they haven't cared about their roles. You know, two of them have come off the bench their whole careers and just keep coming out and doing what we ask. So I'm really proud of this group because, um, you know, they, they had kind of been, you know, forgotten a little bit and maybe a little bit buried and for them to rise up here as seniors and, and take the lead and, and lead, you know, what otherwise is a relatively young team behind them. Um, you know, I couldn't be prouder that, that they've cared enough about just the program and, and what it means going forward for us to have a really good year. Uh, talking to uh, Brad Fisher, the head coach of the Titans here for women's basketball. You guys are scoring seven and a half, 75 and a half. Wow. Well, let me try that again. 74 and a half points a game, but only allowing 47 and a half. I know defense is, a, is something you guys pride in. Are you playing at the level you think needs to be the best to get not only through this conference, but make a dent in March? Or is that still something you're trying to improve on? Yeah, I mean, there's little things. There's different parts of the game. You know, I, we had a really good week defensively last week with with River Falls and, and Stevens Point. Last night, um, you know, we were kind of off and on defensively. But, um, you know, I, again, we have kids that have played in a lot of big games, played in NCAA tournaments, that they always know that we can get better. And, you know, with this stretch coming up, we are going to be challenged. These next three teams can really score and do a good job of stretching stretching the floor and having multiple weapons. And, and you know, that's one of the things that's been tough about our league is people have such great depth on the floor that there's three or four people that can really score at all times. So, you know, you can't just take one defender and say, we're going to go guard this person and that's going to take Eau Claire out of their offense or Whitewater out of their offense. So, um, you know, I still think we're getting there. I think it's always a work in progress. And, um, you know, I do feel, though, we've played really good basketball this year. We did not have a great non-conference schedule, which – you know, we couldn't even fill our schedule this year. Um, you know, we just have a hard time finding finding teams to play. So, you know, I knew when we came into conference, it would be a, a different animal. And I think in general, we've done a really good job of just playing really well. I, you know, I can think of the bad stretches that we've played this year. And when you get to this point of the year, if you can remember the bad stretches, you haven't had that many. So, um, you know, I'm proud of our consistency and how we've come to work every day. And um, you know, I think that's the makeup of a program that has some staying power. So, I'm, you know, I'm proud that the girls have kept coming back through the dog days, you know, here in January. And, you know, now we're seeing the finish line a little bit. And I, I think the hungrier teams here are the ones that get the job done in February. Uh, three of the next five will be at home with the hopes that you can uh, keep it at home the rest of the way. You have a little bit of work ahead of you because Whitewater is tied with you and you've got a rematch coming with them and with a loss already in in play. A split would be nice, but you need some other things in play. Does does it frustrate you that some of this is out of your control, but at the same time, some of it is? Yeah, I mean, we went out. We, we, we're where we want to be. Um, you know, at the same time, I, I, you know, I still think three and even possibly four losses can win the league. You know, a lot of us, Whitewater's still got to go on the road to lacrosse and um, Claire's got it. Most of us coming back at home. So again, it just kind of 
every week is different. You know, I think 10 days ago, River Falls was five and one. They were in first place alone. And, you know, they ran into a really tough schedule and have lost a couple. And, you know, and we were all tied. Now it's down to two. You know, when we talk on Sunday, we might have four back tied. You know, it's just you just got to play well. And, and, you know, we're trying not to even think about where things stand. We always talk about wanting to be the best team we can be when the conference tournament starts. Um, you know, that's kind of been our goal more so than trying to win a, a regular season title or any of those things. Let's let's just concentrate on being the best team we can be and see where the chips fall along the way. And, you know, for the last couple of years, that's worked out well for us to try to keep that mentality. But um, we have so much respect for for what these teams in our league have done this year. And and to have so many people in the race, you know, with five games to go, it, it just shows um, the depth of our league and, and really how hard people have worked to, to put their programs in that position. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Titans, uh, the WIAC race. And what I think the most fascinating part is how many teams end up coming out the NCAA tournament. You guys in Whitewater are certainly well-positioned with very few losses, but it's a matter of who might win the AQ to yeah. help that boost. Uh, but I know that's the least of your concerns right now. You've got five games ahead of regular season play and hopefully three more games of conference tournament action as well. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Yeah, obviously I want to thank you guys again for doing this and for covering our, our sport. But um, I also want to uh, – we have one of our seniors, Taylor Dagan, who uh, tore her ACL um, two weeks ago before mm -hmm. we played Platteville wow. the first time. So um, she's got her surgery tomorrow, so I wanted to make sure I gave Taylor a shout-out. Um, she was the earliest commit we've ever had. She committed in July before her senior year wow. even. Um, and she's a senior now, and she's given us – her heart and soul for four years. And, you know, it's so disappointing that she doesn't get to finish, um, finish on the court. She had some knee injuries throughout the way that, that kind of stunted her development. But, um, you know, people don't understand at our level, you know, without scholarships when injuries happen and how hard that is and how much work they put in outside to try to be healthy. So um, Taylor has her surgery tomorrow morning. So I wanted to, to send my best wishes, you know, across the airwaves and, and make sure she knows how much, um, we're thinking about her and how much we appreciate what she's given to our program. She's one of our best leaders, and um, you know I'm proud of everything she accomplished for our program. So um, we're hoping Taylor's surgery goes well tomorrow and she can get that knee fixed up. Well put, Coach. Oh, yes. uh, we wish the same as well. And uh, heartbreaking, I am sure, but at the same time, I know she's still part of the team, so we wish her luck and a speedy recovery. Thanks for taking the time, Coach. Good luck, and we'll talk. I, I have a feeling we'll be talking to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. All right. Uh, Brad Fisher joining us from the city of Salem Hoopsville Skype hotline with the Oshkosh women's team. Again, 17-2 overall, 7-2 in conference. Big games coming up in conference play. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we will switch gears, stay in the region, talk men's basketball with Gary Gresh from St. Norbert. You're watching Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this.